This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? I'm okay, Andrew. You're just okay? Oh, Just giving is... it back to you. Oh, <laughs> is that how I usually introduce myself? I'm okay. Yeah, well, I generally am okay. I like to be honest about my feelings. If I'm ever not okay, I'll let you know. We can hash that out on the podcast. Are you doing well, though? Are things I going? I am doing well. Good. Just, I was worried about you for a moment. I mean, I... I woke up frustrated about a meeting I covered last night that we can get into later. But uh, other than that, yeah, it's a beautiful sunny day. Yes, you did. You pulled me into the podcast studio. You didn't give me any notes ahead of time. And you said, I want to talk about the Ephraim housing discussion. <laughs> and I said, all right, there's a couple other things that we should get to before we jump into that. But we will talk at length about what happened in Ephraim last night coming up shortly. Before we do, though, I have a, just a quick anecdote that I wanted to share. I was in Minneapolis over the weekend for part two of my brother-in-law's wedding. You left the island. I did. I, I moved out of the Door County bubble and I went to the big city and it was very scary. There was <laughs> lots of concrete and cars and people screaming and it was everything that you think of when you, you ended think up of the curled city. up in an alley just screaming for help. Yep. Where's the cherries? Where's the lighthouse? <laughs> I didn't know. I was all alone. <laughs> I can't find my way. There's no lighthouse. Right. Uh, but I was over there for uh, part two of his wedding. His wedding, like many people's weddings, got kind of upturned by COVID. And so he got married last year and then had his big party this year. I know that a lot of people have kind of done the two-parter. Got wedding. a scenario just like that coming up this fall. Right. So I was over there. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because while I was coming home from the reception, I was on a shuttle bus taking me back to the hotel. And I overheard the other folks in the shuttle bus having a conversation with the bus driver about Door County. Completely really? unprompted by me or anything. The other couple, I didn't know who they were, but they live here. And they were talking to the bus driver about Door County. And the bus driver is like, oh, you live in Door County? I was just there. Me and my husband come up every year. And we came and we loved to pick the cherries. And they were kind of sharing stories about that. She talked about how she saw a show at Northern Sky and loves to, to check out the art scene up here. And I just kind of sat quietly in the back of the bus and listened to a couple of people just talk and reminisce and share good feelings about Door County. And I was like, wow, we live in a really special place. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm used to telling my friends and family and relatives about Door County, but to hear it as a third party, to hear other yeah. people that I don't know talking about it, kind of out of the context of the peninsula, it was cool. It was just a cool little, you know, small world experience that I had. And it, when I came back, I was like, yeah, this is, this is really special what we have and people love this place. Yeah, it's cool to hear you talk about that experience because that is certainly something I had a lot when I lived in Chicago where you just catch people's own interpretations and own experiences here. And the stuff that I maybe would find cliche sometimes, be like, yeah, we did this fish boil and it was great. And we saw the goats on the roof. We went and, and saw cherries. And, you know, when you grow up here, you're kind of like, I don't want to say that any of that stuff's lame. I don't want to like insult any of the people involved in those places. Right, but you, they you are really cool. About it, right? But you just get like, okay, yeah, that's the cliche thing, and you forget like, oh yeah, if it was my first time ever here, I would definitely do a fish boil. I would definitely go see the goats. You know, you do those things, and it's cool to hear people excited about those things that you maybe are like, kind of take for granted. Yeah, I definitely, having been up here 
almost six years now have a different experience than you do having grown up here, mm-hmm. right? There are things that I still think are really cool that you either take for granted or, you know, you were like, oh, but, but this is the really cool thing, right? You know what I mean? We yeah. all have different perspectives on that based on how long we've been here. But like you said, to hear that, like the, the tourism perspective, I'm going up for the weekend. What should I do? And I have friends too, who have never been up here who want to come up and, you know, spend a weekend. Like, what should I do? I always default to those things, right? Because they are the big kind of unique things. And I'll, I'll give more like local favorites and like inside scoop kind of stuff too to my friends. But I always do tell people, oh, there's goats on the roof in Sister Bay. And they're like, oh, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Like you, you, you kind of, even though we live here, you do default back to those things when you're recommending it. I get, and, and you know, because I'm like this on the podcast all the time and, and in our editorial discussions, if somebody asks me like, hey, what should I do in Door County? I take it very seriously and I put too much thought into the recommendation because yeah, people are going to be totally happy if they just do like these tent pole things. But I'm like, I want to send you to this guy in this business because I respect these business owners and they do a cool thing and you got to catch them at this time or this is a segment of the county that you have to see or or a vibe you have to experience. And most people aren't looking for quite that level of depth. But I'm also like, don't go to this place. They're just not good people in the community. <laughs> like, and I, I won't say who, but there oh, are was, some places. I was going to ask for details. But there are people I'm like, I want you to spend your money at the people who do the most, like, and I, I always look at those opportunities, like I can funnel the money to the better places, you know, away from your Walmarts, away from your targets. <laughs> there we yeah. go. Yeah. Scapegoat the big corporations. Yeah, there you go. We, we, uh, we did it. I'll stop scapegoating them the day I see a target or Walmart or any chain CEO show up at a public meeting to address a local problem. <laughs> That's fair. That's the call out. So if yeah. you're listening, Jim target, yeah. <laughs> come on up. <laughs> But anyway, I segued that whole conversation. But yeah, it is something I, you know, you look at those recommendations and you're like, all right, what are you? And you're always trying to tailor it to the person too, you know, but it's fun to see those. And my wife probably recoils or rolls her eyes if we're somewhere and we overhear a door county conversation because she knows that I, I'm not going to be able to help it. But to me, oh, you went to door county. Where did, where did you go? And then she's like, oh, here goes 45 minutes. <laughs> Hi, my name is Miles Door County. I'm the, <laughs> I'd love to talk to you about my home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, as I stepped off the bus, I did say I live in Door County and it was cool to hear you guys talking about it. I'm glad that you came up. So I, I do the same thing. I, I cool. whispered to my wife. I was like, they're talking about Door County. And she was like, <laughs> oh, you should jump in. I was like, no, I'll, I'll talk to her in private <laughs> afterwards. I'm not going to jump into their conversation and be like, hey, have you ever heard of the Peninsula Pulse? Because I write for it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, your wife is different than mine. Mine would probably never encourage me to jump in. She's like, this is going to happen anyway. Maybe I'll get out of this one. Right. So while we're talking Door County and other places in the world and, and how we, you know, kind of feel like we're in a little bubble from time to time, you and I have not talked about COVID for quite a while. Yeah. And COVID isn't over necessarily. No, and not by a long shot. Even though it does kind of feel that way from time to time in Door County. And there's reasons for that, right? The, the numbers kind of support where we are in terms of, you know, businesses opening up and precautions and masks and all that kind of stuff. But let's let's just jump into COVID for a little bit and talk about where we are right now, what the rest of the world is seeing and how that relates to us, those kind of things. Just for perspective for people who haven't been checking the numbers, how many active cases have we had this month? So I, I checked it this morning and did the math since June 1st. We've only reported 21 new cases in the county. So, I mean, 
obviously there was a while there where we're reporting way more than that every single day. So it's about a case every third day. Right. And when you, when you take into consideration like the two week period of contagion, that's kind of generally how we've looked at it for active cases that equates to maybe what 10 active cases at any given point. Yeah. Probably even less. Yeah. And so if you, if you look at those numbers and you think that people who actively have COVID are probably quarantining, the odds of community spread at that point are quite small. I say community spread, not referring to the actual term in which it's like, we don't know where it's coming from kind of thing, Just, but like yeah. as a general spread. thing, <laughs> spread. So that that's how I've been feeling for the last couple of months. I know that active cases has been in like the double digits and below for a while. Yeah. And so it does kind of, it feels different. And you and I have talked about it in the office, how it feels like we're in a different spot. I read social media and I look at my friends in Chicago and Minneapolis and in other parts of the world. And it's a totally different story, right? There's still lockdowns going on in other countries. Things look different in other places. Minneapolis looks a little bit different than the suburbs. Chicago looks a little bit different from Minneapolis. We look very different from all of those places. Yeah. And so it just, it's starting to feel weird, right? Yeah. That, that bubble effect is definitely there. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, Door County, 77% of people over age 18 are vaccinated. There's only two counties in Wisconsin with a higher vaccination percentage, and that's Bayfield and Dane County. I looked at around the, the New York Times map of this this morning. Door County is probably among the top handful of counties in the country for vaccination rates. Some of the highest are in the New England area, and some of the other highest are very small counties with very low populations in some of the Western states. So like, you know, we're, we're in an extremely good shape on a local level. But it's, it is really interesting that Kiwani and Brown County are significantly lower. Brown County is at 63% of those over 18. And Kiwani County is at like 50%. So a full like 20 percentage points below Door County for adults vaccinated. So it is kind of interesting to see like how, how drastically that drops off just over that county line. You have not seen hospitalizations, even as cases have started to tick up in Wisconsin, the seven day average has gone from 60 back on July 6th to, I think it's about 419 when I checked this morning. So it has risen a lot. That's over four weeks though, basically. And that's still nothing compared to the height of this pandemic. So it's not to a point where at least locally from the numbers we're seeing across the state where you say, okay, we're right back into this and people should panic by any means. And also the, the hospitalizations aren't going up with it. Northeast Wisconsin, the hospitalization rates are largely unchanged. Although there are parts of the country in Arkansas and elsewhere where they have extremely low vaccination rates statewide, where you're starting to see hospitals and ICUs fill up again. So there is reason to be at least mindful about it and watching for it, but certainly not hitting any panic button. But there are some places saying, and the CDC is coming out with new advice to say that even vaccinated people should wear masks in certain situations again. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that I'm interested in is kind of the national discussion on this, what the new guidelines may or may not be, and then if we'll see that happen or, or take any effect in Door County. Early on, we saw Door County like really get with it right away and not enforce masking, but pretty much everybody did, right? Mm -hmm. Restaurants really implemented a lot of safety precautions. Pretty much everybody was wearing masks in Door County for the most part. I rarely saw people without them. Mm -hmm. Like we, we really jumped in right away very strongly. The question is, do we see that same level of preparedness if we were to move back into it? Or do the vaccine numbers not, sh like, is there a correlation between that, right? Now are we like, hey, we did really great. We got a lot of people vaccinated. Things are good. 
a second wave, if you want to call it that, of precautions, maybe we don't jump back in that same way. Uh, how do yeah. you, what's your I mean, some that? other countries have been able to do that ebb and flow a lot better than the United States. I would be shocked if we went back into some of those um, stronger measures, in part because we did those because this, the disease was very deadly and especially very deadly for a particular part of the population. That part of the population is now highly vaccinated. And yes, there are cases of people, I think everyone knows of a few names in their friend group who have gotten COVID even though they were vaccinated. Big news yesterday, Indianapolis head coach Frank Reich vaccinated but got COVID, tested positive. But in almost every instance, those are not resulting in hospitalizations, not resulting in severe illness, and certainly not resulting in death. It's very mild cases. So it's a different ballgame. If we had never had the severe time period with COVID when we were totally unprepared for it and everyone was overwhelmed and a lot of people were dying, if that wasn't the case and you just evaluated the disease as it's affecting the populace now, it wouldn't be approached the same way. We wouldn't look at it as this like economy halting potential. So it's almost like looking at two different diseases at this point. Right. I guess the last question that I have then is in terms of vaccinations, there's a lot of discussion nationally about vaccine passports, even though I don't think that that's a great name for it, but like requiring vaccinations to go to places or requiring your staff to get vaccinated to for employment, those types of things. Is that a discussion up here? It has not been much of one, even though the American Medical Association issued a statement in support of vaccine mandates for healthcare workers. I checked in with the healthcare facilities around Door County. All of them said they are not mandating vaccines among staff. Door County Medical Center CEO Brian Stevens said they have about an 80% vaccination rate amongst their employees, and they have close to 700. And all of their physicians and certain groups of their staff are vaccinated. But uh, he said that he has been told that that by the Wisconsin Hospital Association, that that is among the highest vaccination rates among hospitals in the state. But they are not going to mandate it. Neither is Bellin, neither is Prevea. I checked in with the school districts and none of them that I spoke to are planning on mandating employees be vaccinated. And nor is Door County Y or the County of Door. So Hmm. those are some of the top 10 employers in the county and none of them are mandating vaccines. Yeah. And a lot of like public facing organizations there too. Yeah. Schools, the Y, public health, that kind of thing. Yeah. Steve so, Jenkins, the, the head of Door County Economic Development Corporation, he also said that he is not seeing anybody mandating vaccines that so I checked with him because I was like, is there something I'm not thinking of? And he said one thing that was an interesting point is especially with workforce so hard to come by, it's a tough time to make that even if you wanted to, because you'd, you'd lose staff. There are hospitals across the country who have done it. A particular one in, in Houston was the first, and that withheld a, a legal challenge. And they did lose a couple of percent of their staff, but they felt that was what they had to do. Yeah. The other group that you might not be thinking of are the equity theaters up here. So the Actors Equity Association, they have guidelines for fully vaccinated companies. Hmm. And the only way to get approval under those guidelines is to have a fully vaccinated company. Hmm. So like the Peninsula Players, everybody who works there is vaccinated. Same thing with Northern Sky because they have to fit within those equity guidelines. So it's not unheard of for vaccine mandates, but... Does that uh, hold true for, say, like ticket-taking staff and parking staff, volunteer staff, I I would assume yes, because it's a fully vaccinated company, which would mean everybody under the purview of the of the theater company would have to be vaccinated in order for the approvals to take place. 
Okay. So that would be my guess in that way. Um, and I know that some things are different this year too, right? Peninsula Players doesn't have any interns this year. So that would be different. If they did have interns, would they have to be fully vaccinated? I would probably guess yes, considering the fully vaccinated company thing. Hmm. But that's the other part of it too. Interesting. All right, Miles. Ephraim. What <laughs> happened? Why the why the commotion in Ephraim? Well, this might be news to you. I don't know if you've heard anything about this, but like there are people here who say that there is a housing shortage in Door County. I don't believe it. Yeah. You can't find a house in Door County for an affordable yeah, rate? Yeah, there are people who say that occurs, but I, you know, if, in certain circles, you wouldn't know. Yeah, well, I, I guess so. Ephraim had a discussion about the O'Malley's Inn. There was a proposal to convert that into workforce housing. And uh, as we were, you know, joking about, Affordable housing is one of the top issues in Door County. We talk about it all the time. It's one of the big things to look at solving in the next couple of years if we want to continue to have everything that we have here. And this was a proposal to, you know, solve a little bit of it. How'd it go down? <laughs> Not well, I guess. So I was listening. It was a Ephraim Village Planning Committee meeting. And what the proposal was, Jeff Letzi, an Ephraim resident and who owns multiple buildings where he rents them out to businesses in the village. Well, he has a an offer on O'Malley's Inn contingent on his ability to do this project. So what he would like to do is buy that what is now a 14 unit inn with one year round kind of manager's quarters. And he would like to convert that instead to 15 long-term housing units. So instead of renting it as short-term transient lodging uh, as a hotel, he would like to convert it into workforce housing and charge somewhere between 500 and a thousand dollars a month, depending on you know, 500 for like the hotel units, which would be sort of like housing people in a dorm, which is done at Landmark Resort, Birch Creek, Main Street Market has a dorm set up, not uncommon in Door County. And then some of the other units as there's, a, I think, a house on that property that would be rented as a quarters for the manager of the property. And some of it would be seasonal housing. Some of it would be year round housing. Now, I, I do see one glaring issue with that right away is that workforce housing and seasonal lodging are materially different. <laughs> <laughs> is that a thing? That is essentially what the the plan committee members determined. So when he makes this proposal, he is technically changing the use of the property. O'Malley's Inn now is a non-conforming use that is grandfathered in because it was that use before they put in the zoning rules. So what he's proposing, because that's otherwise a residential zoned area, it is right on the north end of the commercial district of Ephraim, a stone's throw from Anderson Dock and the historical museums and things like that. Just a little bit up the road in the other direction, there is an acupuncture house or clinic. I don't know. What do you call it? Acupuncture? I'll call it a clinic and a resale shop. There used to be a bakery right there. There used to be a real estate office there. So it's a residential district, but it's really sandwiched between two commercial districts. It is at the corner of Moravia and Highway 42, just on the north end of Ephraim. It's the place with the two trolls at the entrance, for those who okay. don't know the scene. Yes. Walk me through this, because you are a zoning enthusiast. I am. And I am a zoning layman. <laughs> so let's let's kind of break this down into the easiest terms we can. Right now, what is that property zoned as? It is a grandfathered-in commercial transient lodging building. Right. And without that grandfathered zoning, what is that plot? What does it revert to? The other use in that area is single family residential. Okay. And so what would trigger them to lose that grandfathered status? If you change the use, you have to apply for a new conditional use permit. So 
in this case, he would be, so even if you wanted to change it to residential, you'd have to apply for approval for that. But what he wants to do, technically that would be multifamily commercial. So it wouldn't necessarily fit in that uh, single family residential. Right. So it's a non-conforming use, but since it's in, in Ephraim ordinance, that's allowed. You can change, if you have an existing non-conforming use, you can apply to have it be qualified as a, a different non-conforming use, as long as it is not materially different from the existing use. Okay, well, let's jump into that in And in that a is second. up to the discretion of the plan committee to decide there is not an actual legal definition of materially different. So the attorney for Ephraim explained that at the beginning of the meeting to say, like, this is basically up to your interpretation. Okay, before we jump into that, I just wanted to circle back. So let's say I wanted to buy O'Malley's Inn and turn it into a single-family home. I would have to apply for a conditional use permit to do that. I don't know that you would necessarily have to apply for a change of use. I think it would probably be... Does it default to... Yes. If okay. you wanted to do that, I think you could just do that, although you might end up having to apply for the okay for several other reasons for that change. Okay. So it's not about changing the use, loses the grandfather thing, and then defaults it to residential. It's if he wants to change the use, he has to apply for a conditional use permit. Yes. Okay. So then the big question is, is there a material difference, knowing that that's a very loose term, is there a material difference between transient lodging and workforce housing? You're watching the crickets bounce around in my head. Like I said, that committee determined that there is. It's an interesting conclusion. I mean, it's it's yeah. basically beds. I guess you could say transient lodgers don't necessarily need a kitchen, and so that's why the hotel room is good for them. They don't need a large amount of space, maybe. You know, you stay in a hotel, it's usually smaller. And so these rooms at three to 400 square feet or three to 500 square feet, you could say like that's too small for long-term living versus short-term living. So that's probably where you could find some room there for it being materially sure. different. I, and I can see that too. If you have to change each room, right? If you have to add a kitchenette and if you have to add things to each room, I could see that then being maybe materially different. But if it, if the idea was just like, well, they're going to be in there longer than transient lodging would allow for, then that's, that's a less concrete argument in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, hypothetically, you can stay in a place up to 28 days in transient lodging. I mean, you could turn it into workforce housing within the existing rules by saying, okay, everyone just rotates their room every 28 days. And that's a feature. That's a cool thing that you get to do. Yeah, you get a new experience. Yeah. In my mind, as and I, the reason I hesitate on this, because you, you don't want to give your opinion, but when you're covering the news story, I obviously have talked about housing ad nauseum on this podcast and in writing and in columns and things. So I will admit that I have a bent here when it comes to housing, but it was really frustrating one to see it get denied. Although if it's based on the legal terms and, and things and there's justification, that's the way it is. We have zoning for a reason, right? Like to guide the development in certain areas. But to me that it seems a stretch to say that it is like extremely different use. And a lot of the people arguing against it said, this is a way different use this is going to change the character of the neighborhood. Thank you for bringing that up because I you seem very passionate about something so technical, but that's not why you came away from the meeting kind of upset, right? I came away upset because I heard a lot of the same rhetoric that I have heard every single time that somebody proposes a way to house basically my friends who work long days, grind it out and try to make a living up here and raise their families up here. And... 
the way that they are viewed and looked down on by some of these people who argue against these projects. And the same thing happened with Bob Lautenbach's project that he proposed in Fish Creek in 1999. It happened when Kathy Navis proposed Bedrock Flax out on County E in the middle of nowhere in the late 90s. It happened when the Redmond property was being spoken of in Fish Creek as potential workforce housing land. It happens with the Weeda projects in Sister Bay, the Door County Housing Trust projects. Every time that somebody proposes something, it's, well, yeah, we know there's a problem, but this isn't the place for it. And, and why not? Like, what's the argument for not in my backyard? Some say it will detract from property values. There are some who said, if you're going to do affordable housing there, it's going to be party time and it's going to be a party every night. That's a quote. And it's going to ruin the neighborhood. And it's like a thinly veiled way of saying we don't want, I mean, I think people think of it as like really poor people, like destitute hobos or something living in these huts. Like well, that, that's the way that a lot of people talk about it. We're talking about units that people want to be able to pay 500 to to $1,000 a month for. These are people with jobs, with families, maybe with seasonal workers. There, there are so many people that, teachers, that's the problem. Like people don't understand, like teachers, the fire department is desperate to find housing in Northern Door County for their firefighters who protect your multi-million dollar homes when they burn <laughs> or when they might burn, who are the, the paramedics who show up at your house when you're at risk of dying. Like we don't have places to house them. We don't have places to house the employees that local governments are hiring and trying to attract here. So Jeff, let's say if, if this had gone through, probably not going to make money on this. Maybe cover his costs and make a little bit. But he basically came out and said, I don't know everything that would happen for this property because I don't own it yet, but I am willing to work with you. I'm willing to be flexible. He offered to put a cap on the number. Some people said, well, if you have 15 units, what's to stop everyone from having multiple people in there and now you have 30 or 40 people in there every night partying which to some extent yes people do party in door county but also a lot of these people that are working multiple jobs like they get home and they just they're tired <laughs> especially the foreign seasonal workers who bust their butts and work three jobs yeah and, and i want to add to your point you were arguing that the people who affordable housing attracts are not the people that some folks think they are, right? Yeah. I would argue even further that you should not pass judgment on people based on their income, right? And you can't lump people together and, and say like, oh, th this is affordable housing. So the people who can afford to live here are blank and this and that and this and that negative stereotypes, right? Yeah. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be affording those to people based on their income anyway, because that's just, that's classism, right? That's why we have that word. Uh, I would just call it being a jerk. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, um, I, I take it very personally too, because like my family and my five siblings, we grew up in a piece of junk house and most of the houses on our road were very poor families in Egg Harbor and what a lot of people wouldn't consider livable houses. So did a lot of the artists that have made this county what it is. People will throw out like, well, it's going to be like Camp David. Okay. I have never covered a complaint about Camp David in 17 years of writing for The Pulse. I have never covered a complaint about the dorms at Birch Creek. And just, just so we're clear, no place will ever be like Camp David. <laughs> no, yeah, that is a singular environment. Yeah. And when they say that, it's like, Kathy Hoke, the director of the Peninsula School of Art, living at Camp David. I know a lot of people who have gone into very prominent positions in this county who got their foot in the door here by living at Camp David because it's the only affordable seasonal option. I have so many friends who lived in squalor, in dumpy apartments, and were those poor people who are now directors of county departments or own very successful businesses or are the leaders of this county. 
Jeff Lutze is trying to do this. He's also a member of the Destination Door County Board of Directors. Uh, he's on the Ridges Board. He volunteers for tons of different things. And yet one of the plan commission members questioned whether his heart was really going to be in it. I was like, first of all, you don't know your own business owners if you're asking that of, of Jeff. You're a small town. You should be able to know who Jeff is. And it's just insulting to evaluate somebody's business plan that way. And there were concerns that it's going to fall into disrepair and you're just going to be a slumlord. And I just wonder if they'd ask the same questions of a of somebody building a house with a lot of money or a lot of the objectors live across the street and in a 12 unit condo development and they're complaining about density and parking. This project would have 15 units and 18 parking spaces. Across the street, the Knudsen House condominiums where many people showed up to in opposition, they have 12 units and 12 parking spaces. So there are more parking spaces per unit in this proposal than the condominium right across the street. Jeff proposed capping the number of people who could live there at 18. The village wouldn't consider that as a condition. They moved right on past that. It was frustrating to see, here's someone coming with a solution to a problem that nobody has really made a meaningful impact on. Surgeon Bay has made some strides of late. Sister Bay looks like they're starting to make some strides, but nobody's really done it. And it didn't require any investment. It didn't require the village sticking money into the project. It just said, say yes to this one, try at it and see if it can work. And it wasn't somebody trying to make bank off it either. So it, it was just really frustrating from that standpoint, because I've seen everything fails to this nimbyism. And there were a lot of business owners and residents who spoke up in support of this too, and testified to how much they need housing for their workforce and how many of them have friends who are desperate for this kind of thing. And, um, yeah, just some of that rhetoric of how people view, or maybe it's a misinterpretation. First of all, like I wouldn't forgive them for seeing any poor people in any light, but like these are people who make the median wage in the county who can't afford a, a house. And here's a great option being put on the table. And the knee jerk is not even to like really evaluate it and go, you know what? How could we make this happen? What could we do to make this work? But it's just like, well, not in my neighborhood not in this spot, do it somewhere else. One guy actually said, there's a much easier solution. Buy these three acres out on this road and build 24 units. That is a many millions of dollars project. <laughs> but this, this is somebody who looked at it and said, this is comparable and it's nowhere near. Right. I guess the big thing... Sorry, I just ranted for a long time. <laughs> no, no, and that's fair. And I, I hope that our listeners are putting up with us talking about this in this way because it is something that is frustrating for us you especially talking about these being your peers and your friends and having the connection that you do. The The last point that I guess I want to stress is when you say not in my backyard or not in my neighborhood, you have to realize that eventually you're not going to be able to say that anymore because you're just not going to have the same door County that you've come to expect. Right. Yeah. If, if you say no to every single affordable housing development project, if you say no to towers going up for internet, if you say no to so on and so forth, Eventually, young families aren't going to come here anymore. And 20 years from now, Door County doesn't look the same. You don't have the restaurants that you love. You don't have the infrastructure. You don't have all of the amazing things that we have because we don't have all the amazing things that we have anymore because we don't have young people to come in and work them, right? Right. Uh, as soon as the next generation of business owners retire, who fills in that spot? Unless you bring those young people in now. There are a lot of restaurants that are closed an extra day or two a week this year because they just don't have staff. There are a lot of nonprofits suffering, struggling to find volunteers because everyone's overworked, just trying to keep their head above water. It will come to a, a precipice at some point. And I, 
I still have confidence because I know some really good people in other communities that are working hard on this project. And I do think there are, and I know some good people in this community who are willing to support some of these projects. This one to me just seemed really easy, but okay, if the zoning, if, if you really dig into the zoning and you feel it doesn't work, that's one thing. But, you know, it was clear by some of the comments, both from committee members and from neighbors, that there's still the stigma. I'd encourage anybody to go up to just take a walk around and drive around behind the Piggly Wiggly at the housing up there. A lot of those were houses that sold for ninety dollars to $140,000 um, when they were built. There is a WIDA project up there. I'd love for somebody who doesn't know which one is the WIDA project to tell me which one it is, because it's got a nicer lawn than my house. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and the other thing too, is when you think about like, why should we be bringing in more workers, right? It's because without the, we have to, we have to bring in people, right? We need housing for those people. And this isn't just like an over, this this hot topic lately of the over tourism thing. It's been a problem for 30 years. Right. But what I was, what I was getting at is like, I've heard people say like, well, why are we attracting all these people from outside Door County when we can hire from within Door County? But if every 16, 17 and 18 year old worked in Door County every summer, that still wouldn't put a dent in how many employees we need to actually right. run everything, right? I don't have any numbers in front of me, but I would guess the majority of young people who live here in the summer do work here in the summer. Yeah. Because it's a great gig to be able to do. I mean, yep. you can make a lot of money in the summer Yep. up here. So it's not that, you know, we've got a, a generation of young people who aren't working here or are going somewhere else to work when they go to college for sure. But even with all hands on deck, we need many, many more. And we needed them two years ago before we lost all the J1 foreign visa workers. Now we have, there's a smattering of, of them up here, but far cry from the 500 we had a couple of years ago. But even when we had all that 500, we still needed more. And we, we were bringing in J1 visa workers in the late 90s, starting to bring them out in increasing numbers. And that was with many more high school. We had about 500 more high school students in the county at that time. Our school numbers had dwindled so dramatically. Our population has tilted so much more toward the retirement age since then. So there are just less people in the working age category that live here to fill these jobs. And they don't have the kids in the schools to work there in the summer and then come back during their freshman, sophomore year of college. So you're losing like the eight year window of 14 to 22 year olds for every, every kid that's gone is one of those gone. So if you take 500 fewer high school students, that's a lot. Yeah, and A lot there, of them work two shifts a day. Right. Why are there 500 fewer high school students? Because there's no place for young families to live. <laughs> yeah, that's... Like yeah. It, it's cause and effect. Yeah. So, and I mean, yes, it's not wholly that, right? There's fewer farming families, which means fewer large families, things like that. But that's a big part of it is it like, okay, I would like to bring my family up here, but I can't. And there's no childcare slots open. Or if I buy the house at the rates that they cost up here, then I can't afford childcare. So now we can't both work. And so we're going to live in Green Bay. Um, there's a lot of different things that trickle down and we're not going to, as Jeff said, like this isn't going to solve everything, but this is exactly the kind of thing we need to do as a county is find 10 or 15 units of rental in Ephraim, 10 or 15 in Sister Bay, five or 10 in Egg Harbor, whatever that number is. And by doing all that, you start to fill that gap of the housing study that was conducted in 2018, which is outdated now because things have gotten so much worse. But that housing study said that we needed 70 new short-term rental units in Northern Door County, and it's only grown since then, um, just for workforce, not counting the retirees who can't find housing. And this would have been a, a nice chunk of that. It wouldn't address the people who, need, uh, who want to buy homes 
but it would address, I think, what's the most critical one is just having an option to rent one. And there was also arguments that it was, it would be a safety hazard because Jeff was saying, one other thing I'm trying to do to mitigate any parking issues is to encourage people and work with local businesses to secure these units for Ephraim businesses so that they would have workers who could bike or walk to work and not have to take a car. And then that sparked some people to say, the last thing we need is more bikes on Highway 42. That's oh, no. going to be unsafe. Oh, no, the trifecta of things that Miles gets angry <laughs> oh. about. I've spent a lot of time this summer educating people about the rules of biking in terms of from the driver's perspective, because I've had people say bikes shouldn't be on Highway 42. That is 100% legal. <laughs> uh, bikes are 100% legal riding in the middle of the lane. That's what they are. Actually, if you look at the state statute, that's what they are encouraged to do for safety purposes if they can go the speed of traffic or if there are visibility hazards or hazards on the side of the road. But I won't go deep into the bike law there, but it is very interesting to me anytime somebody says bikes, which are 10 to 25 pounds, pose a safety hazard. So instead, we'd like you not to encourage biking but to encourage them to take 2,500 pound vehicles down the roadway. Yeah, and exacerbate the parking issue. That's the safer solution. The 2,500 pound behemoth (laughs) over walking or biking to work. Right. Well, Miles, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot to cover. I, again, I- Like I said, I was, I woke up frustrated this morning. One, the orchard next to me, they were shaking the cherries. It was loud at 5.30 in the morning. But I bought next to an orchard. I got to accept that. <laughs> and I'm happy about that orchard most of the time. But I also woke up just thinking about this and just just thinking how frustrating it was to hear people just denigrate the people who do the dirty work up here. Yeah. You you went to the nearest abandoned warehouse and you did a little footloose dance in there, right? Yeah. To blow off some steam. <laughs> Thank you to our listeners for, for bearing with us in that discussion. I know it was passionate, but... Sometimes we just have to dig into that part of it. Like we, we try very, very, very hard to stay balanced and unbiased, but sometimes the bias has to come in, especially when you see it happen over and over and over and over again. And that's part of adding context to these conversations through the podcast. So I hope that you stuck with us through this episode uh, and you'll check back in on us next week when we've got even more housing and internet and childcare discussions to have forever and ever until they get fixed. And one caveat to consider as you listen. Is it bias if you're right? And with that, (laughs) Miles, thank you for chatting with me. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.